Welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue. This is your host, Ty Davis, and I wanted to dedicate this month's episodes to a cause that is very special to me. This month, we're focusing on sexual assault and domestic violence awareness. Stay tuned after the episode for details on where you can get help if this is you. Welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue. Today, I am your guest host. My name is Takesha Smith, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I have the privilege of interviewing our host, Ty Davis. Hey, yes. Welcome. Yes. Welcome. Thank this you. is fun. This is new to me, yeah. but I am going to enjoy this journey. All right. I'm, I plan on uh, enjoying it. Thank you for uh, coming on and doing this with me, because I couldn't think of a better person uh, to host this episode and, Thank and you. interview me than you. So today we're going to be talking about transgenerational trauma. And one of the things I like to lead in with first is just so everybody's clear and we're all on the same page, just defining what transgenerational trauma is, examples of what that looks like, how it comes about, what um, behaviors or sometimes what we may classify as symptoms present. So transgenerational trauma is trauma that is transferred from the first generation or one generation of trauma survivors to a second or another or further generations of offspring of the survivors via complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay, I know that was a lot, um, but just think about that for a minute. So basically what that looks like is... um, Slavery is a good example of transgenerational trauma, right. okay? And how that looks uh, is maybe my children or myself being fearful, hesitant um, of white people and understanding where that comes from. Well, my ancestors were enslaved mm-hmm. and they suffered um, some trauma from behind that. Well, trauma is something that impacts you mentally, physically, and emotionally, and it can, studies have been proven to, to, to show that trauma changes your psychopathology. Therefore, it changes the chemical balances in your body. That's hereditary. That can be genetic. Yes. That then passes along to someone like myself, and I grow up being hesitant um, around white people. Um, having a loss of a child can be an example of transgenerational trauma. Um, Being abused, whether it be mentally, emotionally, sexually, physically, can create transgenerational trauma. And um, what some of the behaviors that manifest from that is, like I said, hesitation, maybe anxiety, depression, isolation. Mm -hmm. Um, Some research have even associated that with schizophrenia. So these are just some of the things that that I'd like for our listeners to consider and keep in mind when we are talking about transgenerational trauma. And one of the reasons why I'm I'm interviewing you today is that it's um, sexual awareness. Sexual assault awareness. Awareness month. month, Mm -hmm. And it's important that people have a safe space to tell their story. Yes, Uh, for me, um, this transgenerational, intergenerational trauma, I want to 
talk about um, highlight. Yeah, there's a a, 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 a physical component, mm-hmm. right? physiological, like you said. It alters your brain matter. It alters your chemistry. It alters your DNA. And then there's so it's passed on in in that regard. And then also the other way that it's passed down is um, through our behavior, our learned behaviors about what we believe is right. Um, and again, to go back to the point that you made about slavery, I'll use the perfect example of spankings yes. and whippings. You know, in in our community, we believe that spankings and whippings are are okay, and that it's a you know it's a normal part. You know, and it's not just the black community; it's Southern culture. It's you know, but lots it's of acceptable. Pockets. It's acceptable, yep. right? But yep. at the same token, what we're not looking at is you know we're looking at whole groups of people, generations of people who can you know, joke about, well, I got hit with a cast iron frying pan. Oh, well, my mom, she, you know, grabbed this baseball bat or a broomstick. I had to go right. pull off a switch off a tree. I mean, this is really abusive stuff. And it's minimized less, to jokes. We're now. minimizing it yep. to jokes and yep. talking about it, you know. Um, so for me, um, I am a survivor of intergenerational trauma. And what the type of trauma I'm talking about is not just, um, I've been beat with an extension cord before. Mm. Mm-hmm. I know how many kids have been. Many people can relate to that. Yeah, and, and children. But mm-hmm. that, I mean, you know, it just, I had to pause even saying that out loud because mm-hmm. that's, it. I'm at 48, I remember what that was like. That well, because that was traumatic. It is very and traumatic. Our, and our and brain does store trauma. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. You know, for me, um, you know, gosh, the part is um, sexual, physical abuse. Um, that holding space mm-hmm. for all the people, you know, because really what I'm talking about is some core members of my family. Okay. And uh, so it's always hard because, you know, on one hand, um, you know, the abuse that happened, and it, it, it did alter my life. It altered me as a person, and I had to learn how to undo those things. Um, but on the other hand, I'm holding space for the fact that these they're victims as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, so my, um, can you, um, can you talk, I'm sorry. Can you talk about some of the things that, that you're able to recognize you notice that were altered? You talked about how it altered your behavior. It, it altered how you operate it. What does that look like? You know, as a child, I was very, um, I was a tomboy. I was very free spirited. Mm-hmm. I was a baby girl with two older brothers. So I was the one that, you know, I used to love to ride around on my brother's skateboard, play with their racing cars. I mean, I was just free. You know, I, I, I felt very free. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, over the years, as those experiences began to happen between the physical <coughs> abuse, the yelling, um, the beatings, and the beatings were significant. Um, You know, they were significant, like the type of thing where, um, so the type of thing where, you know, um, my dad would have us strip us down, make us take our clothes off, tie our hands behind our back, and we'd have to bend over the couch, and he'd beat us all at the same time. You know, that, um, that uh, is just kind of really stuck in my Mm -hmm. head, so for me... You know, when things, when when it went from yelling to it was happening to my brothers and then it started happening to me too, it's like I I wasn't free anymore. Right. You know, I couldn't, 
I just kind of retreated inward. Right, um, right. You know, these are the ways as I can look back now as an adult mm -hmm. and see how I retreated into myself. I started writing. Okay. Um, to cope with it. I started, you know, doing puppet shows with my little stuffed animals. They were, they were my security. Right. That, right. They just, that, they were my comfort. You okay. Know? So I, I started, I became really introverted and creative. Okay. Um, to cope with it. And I didn't feel so much as free. So you went from going, what I'm hearing is that you went from being a tomboy as you described, just free-spirited, energetic, open child to, as you described, or state an introvert. You begin to kind of isolate yourself, and you turn inward, and you begin to journal. You begin to write. I begin to less, write. And yeah. so you, you socialize less. But there was an obvious change in your behavior. Um, I would... To look back at mm -hmm. it now, I can see it. Mm -hmm. I can see there was an obvious change in my behavior. Because, like I said, I was the type of kid I'd go outside and I'd spend all my time around my brothers um, catching lightning bulbs, mm -hmm. bugs, and pulling the lights out and putting them in jars, you know, little things like I mean, I was a really a kid that was an explorer. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was definitely a time where things got worse and I really just went inward and into myself. And the difference is, is that normally I think parents would notice that. But again, holding space for my parents' experience, um, which I'm, you know, it's hard to talk about. And I know somebody's <coughs> got to be saying, well, gosh, you know, where, where's your parents? Where's your mother? Uh -huh. You know, who, who, while this is going on. Um, and where was your mom? She was there. She was there. Um, and so she was... She was uh, aware, mm -hmm. in part, mm -hmm. of some of what was happening. Um, and this is hard for me to sit with because okay. I just recently learned that. That's okay. part of the challenge, too. You know, people think that with trauma, it's you can name everything and you know what it is and you're angry. And, you you know, no, for me, I knew that this was my life. I lived it, but it didn't. I didn't understand that this was trauma. I had been through traumatic experiences and some of that involved neglect. Right. Um, you know, I didn't have this understanding till I was like 37, maybe 11 years ago. And that's normal. Most yeah. people don't have an understanding. Most most of us are not able to recognize it because, as we said early, it's so culturally accepted um, with within society that we don't realize it until something major happens or we have a break ourselves um, to bring it to the forefront. Right. And as young children, you don't have the vernacular. To say it, and most ch and children are not empowered um, to say it, or don't have a safe space. If you're already in an abusive situation, where is that safe space to to express that? Right. So that's understandable. And, and the other thing is, in particular, um, you know, having the safe space to be heard and and to be believed. Because lots of times when we do tell that things are happening, we're not believed or we're blamed for it happening. Mm -hmm. um, that's what happened to me. You know, not the first time it happened, but the first time I. When I told, mm -hmm. um, I wasn't believed, you know, it was thought that I was, you know, uh, being used as a, as a pawn in a divorce. Mm -hmm. So this whole story about what happened to me got overlooked and lost inside of an argument about two people getting a divorce. Right. Um, you know, and, and that was trauma within itself. I just need for people to understand 
how profound trauma is and in a way that of how it touches on every component in relationships and every behaviors that are manifested and even the two individuals that are going through that divorce there is trauma there is trauma individually not just even from that situation but even prior to that there is there is, you know, so now I'm glad I got that little break because I, it's, um, it is profound mm -hmm. to be it as an adult. I, you know, we talk about trauma, not because childhood trauma, not because it's people just holding on to the past. Mm -hmm. Um, these are beliefs about yourself, right? Beliefs that you have about other people in life because of how you were taught you know, right. in your formative years. So for me, in my formative years, the people that I trusted the most mm -hmm. were abusing me. Now, how confusing is that? That's extremely confusing. It's the same thing with slavery. The person who I trusted the most, which was my grandmother, mm -hmm. had firsthand experience of being enslaved. Mm -hmm. So if that's where my knowledge and information, that's my information source is coming from, and my own and everybody else, that's your perception. It shapes everything, and it was the same thing for your trauma. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to know more about, just a little bit more about, even now I'm noticing a pause, but it's important that as we explore trauma, that we acknowledge what we're feeling, even discussing it. So just briefly tell me what you're feeling. You know, even now... Um, there's always a tug mm -hmm. about being a writer and breaking free of the stigma and telling the story. Um, telling the story helps because it's lending a perspective. You know, the silence hushes a perspective about what happened mm -hmm. to a person that has been through trauma. Um, and when we silence those perspectives, then people don't really understand what it really looks like. Um, so for me, that's, that is, is important to me. It has been important to me for my healing. Um, and, but I still struggle with, this is my family. Mm -hmm. You know, how do people respond to, okay, well, your parents abused you, get over it. And the challenge is, is that, you know, it's not even so much of how the abuse happened. It's that the abusive patterns of behavior continue right. long after the physical abuse. It doesn't just stop. It, right. And so for my parents, it's like there's really not an awareness. Um, so it's not like I'm saying I'm letting them off the hook or whatever, but it's I'm holding space for them because I don't want the world to think they're horrible people. Right, because they're not. But at the same time, um, you know, I just don't have the relationship with them that I would like to or mm -hmm. should or, you know, could um, because of these continued um, patterns of behavior. Um, and, and, and I think pretty much just to encapsulate it, in our community, we raise our children. It, it's almost like in the black community, in our generation mm -hmm. and above, it's different now. Right. But years, you know, prior, we don't look at children as people. They're objects. They're possessions. They're, they're they to be seen, feelings. not heard. Right. They don't. Mm -hmm. They're not to be. They're not to their opinion. If they speak, 
they're being grown, you know, out of order. People. They're mm-hmm. not supposed mm-hmm. to have thoughts, feelings, and opinions. And for a lot of adult parents that are, you know, baby boomers, right, they still have that attitude towards their adult children. You don't have very feelings. much so. You don't have yeah. You don't have an opinion. You don't right. you don't have a right to feel this way. And that's you know, let, let me just say this. The reason why I asked that question about what you were feeling was I think it's important for our listeners to to hear um and understand how how difficult it, it is for you to even and survivors to even tell their stories and what they experience just telling the story imagine sitting with it in silence and not having a safe space to ever tell your story you know because it's it's it it, people say well why tell the story because again you know people don't understand I may be a person that I especially if you're a, a man you know majority of the trauma that happened to me happened by a man so I don't like to be roughhoused Right. I don't like, you know, but for some men, that's how they feel like they want to express affection. But I have to be able to articulate to you. I don't like that. And if I articulate it, you can't, it can't be a problem because that's what you want. It has to be an understanding that mm-hmm. this is something that it makes me uncomfortable. And, and you, the reason may not resonate with you. You know, you may not understand it, but still respect that right. I'm another person. You know what I mean? So I and think, it makes sense to, to, I guess, to those people, I would say, well, why not tell the story? Because if right. if we are a culture moving towards breaking um, and disruptive, disrupting negative cycles and patterns of abuse and toxic energy and relationships and bad habits, the way you do that is by speaking. It's, it's by, by, telling, by the telling the story. You have to be right. able to identify how it starts, where it begins, right. what it looks like. If right. you want, if that's if that's the goal, and I'm thinking for us as a culture and a society, we need we need some healing, and we that's do. where healing begins. It's where healing because see, for me now again, you know, I had this break, this major episode mm-hmm. back in 2007, right, and that's when I stopped working. I was, you know, so for me, yes, I lived that life, but Again, um, there's all kinds of ways that our mind escape uses to escape from things like that. So it's kind of like, you know, here I am, I'm working, have this great career in IT. I'm a business analyst on a process engineering team. I'm cruising along. Next thing I know, all hell breaks loose and I can't even function anymore. You know, I couldn't eat. I, I lost 80 pounds. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't. I was hearing things. Mm-hmm. I was seeing things. And it turns out this is PTSD. Somebody had tried to tell me that I had PTSD before, and I was like, I don't have no PTSD. What are you talking about? Yeah, the whole, ain't nothing wrong with me. Right, Nothing right. wrong with them. Yeah, nothing's wrong. Right. But then, sure enough, I'm in the middle of it happening, mm-hmm. and I'm observing this happening to me. I'm having, halluc- you know, I, I thought they were, they were memories. You were having flashbacks. They were flashbacks. What we call flashbacks. Right, because mm-hmm. these were things that actually happened. happened. Mm-hmm. These are not things that never happened that I'm afraid of. These are things that I actually witnessed. Right. So it was an actual, just for clarification, those are what, that's what we call flashbacks. It's a symptom of PTSD and not a hallucination because it was very, very real and it did happen. Yes. Yep. And that is a typical symptom of PTSD. Um, but okay. It is. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so for me, the, the, the challenges is, is, you know, we, so we have this way of being right and, 
understanding that you know I had this lived this life mm-hmm. I wasn't even present to I didn't you know if, even though it was my life I didn't really understand that what until I had gone um, to see a psychiatrist okay uh, the psychiatrist listed the things that I had experienced as um, uh, ne- neglect mm-hmm. I had never even heard I didn't even know that I, in, in reference to me you know, hearing that word as an adult, that these things happen because of neglect and the abuse and, and so on and so forth. Um, it, 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 it was a lot. It was a lot. Because so, nobody wants to believe that about their parents and their families and everything. That's hard to hear. It's hard to yep. hear. You don't want to believe that about your family. So for me, it's only been within, since this whole episode happened, it's only been the past 11 years that I've actually been able to be present to the trauma, okay. been able to remember some of the trauma and understand actually what happened. So although, you know, in my brain, these were things that were normalized prior to that point, only in the past 11 years did I realize that one of these offenders was a family member and that when he did it to another family member, they told and he, they weren't believed and, you know, nothing happened. And so this same person went on doing it to all these other people mm-hmm. in the family. And that's typically what happens. And and because nobody ever said anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you know, how? So to understand, like, at this point, mm-hmm. and look at, to look back at the carnage, mm-hmm. and to look back and say, oh, my God, this is what all these things were, and understand it, it's it's massively impactful. Um, and so, yeah, it creates a different experience, and, and, and it's isolating. I think that's why the need to tell the story becomes greater. Because then we realize when we tell the story, you know, there's so many people just like us. I think more people than what we know um, are just like, have experienced um, trauma. And it's important for people to understand and know that the issues that we, we try to avoid or we refuse to discuss today only becomes our reality tomorrow. It continues. That's that manifestation. So you can't not not talk about it. I understand it may be difficult to hear. I understand it may be uncomfortable, but that's where growth arises from. And positive change is let's talk about it. And talking about it looks like listening. Another person listening to the story is not to be debated because debating does does. This really does not heal. It's not a part of the healing process. We don't incorporate that in the healing process because it's a non-factor. It's not necessary. But um, I do think it's important for you to continue to tell your story, uh, especially to those that are supportive, those that are willing to listen. Um, And you mentioned that in telling your story that there were people who didn't believe you. Yeah, you know, there... um and that's hard, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not only were there people that didn't believe me, but then I discovered other, it was like common knowledge. Other people mm. in the family knew that this was happening, not just to me, but, you know, a lot of the trauma um, I experienced, you know, was witnessing what happened to my brothers. You know, I've seen my my brother um, passed away in 2015. I've watched him get thrown down a flight of stairs, you know. Oh, wow. Um you know, I've had experiences where uh, coming to understand that that's, it just kind of took me back, you know, right, about right, right. some of these things that we went through. Um, 
the the PTSD comes in when you have a fear of a loss of life. Mm-hmm. And you know, I will say that um, you know I can say that my my father is is he was um, known for being a pretty tough guy. You know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was um, so. Um, you know what that really brought up for me was really understanding that this abuse was happening, um, and there were people that knew about it, family members that knew, mm-hmm. and nobody did anything. And that's the thing that is, um, you know, I carry that. I watched my oldest brother go through addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you see, and, you, you see the manifestations of being uh, silent. I, when I, people I people I knew, yeah. and they did nothing, right. and that's unfortunately that is a common theme that um, personally and professionally I hear often. People will bear witness to trauma or abuse because um, they don't recognize it as trauma. Even in the case with me, um, after I had recalled this scenario, um, you know, remembering my brother being flown, thrown down a flight of stairs. You know, this is in the projects. You know, mm-hmm. you know so this is concrete <laughs> staircase, so, stairwell. So you witness him being thrown down, and someone a actually... A whole flight of stairs, yeah. Literally, and when he was thrown down these flight of stairs, what was his disposition? What, what did you take me back to? He was on the ground, just like in disbelief. My mom went running down to pick him up. They ran and got off in the car. And left me there with my dad you know mm-hmm. I got left when a lot of those things were happening because my older brothers were the focus at the time I got left behind um, so just subject to whatever res- residual was mm-hmm. left even in New Jersey um, in Georgia it's defects in Jersey it's Dyfus mm-hmm. after that incident because um, I believe his wrist had been broken that time when he got thrown down the steps something got broken Right. That time, and um, so in the hospital, that's where um, they called Dyfus, and Dyfus came and took my brother, but then they left me. Wow. They left me. I mean, this is the institution that's responsible for ensuring the safety, kids. health, and well-being and of they, children. They they knew there was, you know, if I'm sure part of that yes. investigation, they can track the calls to law enforcement and you know, when the kids have been engaged and they can see that and, you know, so at the very minimum, they knew they just got my brother. Why did they leave me? So the, you know? so, so not only the reliable, the individuals who you consider to be reliable sources, but now this entity, this agency who was supposed to be there, protect you have all fallen through the cracks. It, all, all, f- it all fell, fell through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And what that did is that created in me a lot of resentment, mm-hmm. a lot of hopelessness, a lot of value you feel like you know how do you find value in yourself as a human being or how do you find value in your life when your parents don't protect you you know the people pretty much there's only one relative in my immediate family my core Mm -hmm. between my siblings and my parents that didn't hurt me you know um and so when everybody else you know how how do you build relationships with people how do you build relationships with people and how do you you know, how can you interact with people in healthy ways when you're just taught that, nope, you can't trust anybody, you know, so that, but it was having my son 
um, watching him go through his own set of challenges that made me recognize the need for recovery. For recovery. Okay. Because yeah, okay. I didn't understand, um, you know, I the had, this whole breakdown happened when he was going through some difficulties in school, mm-hmm. but I really didn't see that need until I saw I needed to change and acknowledge areas of, in my own way of being for him. And as I began to dig into those places, I began to understand the roots of my trauma and why it was necessary for me to recover and heal. And describe for our listeners or talk to our listeners or you know people listening, even for me, what did you first or when did you first realize, hold up, something's got to change? And what did that process look like? You know, for me, I would say the first thing that really made me realize something had to change was dealing with um, women in my sorority. Okay. Um, because it kept getting perpetuated like, well, she's got problems, but everybody has problems with her, so yeah. it's got to be her. Then I realized what it was is um, there's a way of being that lots of us adopt as normal. Mm-hmm. That's very toxic. That's very... Toxicity is normalized in a lot of families. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, it, you know, it, it. I had to realize, so... I had in order and recognizing the the difficulties, the sensitivities I had when dealing with other people. Okay. Why I feel a level of betrayal so much more deeply mm-hmm. than someone else. So a sense of hypersensitivity and yes. hypervigilance. So all of that are symptoms as well of PTSD yes. and trauma. Mm-hmm. Yes. I had to realize that. So I had to realize as I recognize, you know, this is not a me versus them thing. This is partially cultural mm-hmm. how we interact with each other culturally because there are lots of people who will tell you right now the best way to discipline your kid is with a belt or that kid needs a beating we, and we see all know that, that doesn't work right <laughs> it right. just doesn't right. work right <laughs> you could be further traumatizing your child just, instead of finding out what the why is. yeah what what what's the cause of the behavior what's the cause of the mm-hmm. behavior because i had to go back and recognize there were areas in my own son's life, you know? Right. So, um, so yeah, you know, it, it gets to be a, a, a big kind of challenge to, to cope with. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that helped me was um, actually working in mental health. Okay. That, that helped me um, because it was then that I got, um, I, although I'd had years of therapy, mm-hmm. you know, I've been in the church did that. So you went to therapy, you went to church. So that that's that, is that where the process began with church and therapy? I, I wouldn't even say the process hadn't begun then because okay. I was just continuously re-traumatized in those environments. Okay. In the mm. church, I was othered mm. um, because I, you know, I asked questions. Apparently, that gets me in a lot of trouble in a lot of places. I'm always the one that asked the wrong question. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of thing. Um so, it, it, but none of that was healing. What it didn't, I didn't begin to find a place until I actually became a CPS. Okay. I got, so I got a trained, CPS? As, trained as a certified peer specialist. Okay. And that's a person that is living with a mental health diagnosis and that has made their way into recovery. Okay. Um, and recovery from trauma is different than recovery from substance abuse. Absolutely. Right? Because, you know, not to say that there's, not uh, addictive behaviors because right. I think for me ice cream, you know, food. <laughs> I definitely, I mm-hmm. you know, 
and not to minimize because really anything you can be right that so it just depends on what's going to be the what's harmful to you right and yeah. and anything in excess can be harmful right. whether it be shopping right. um socializing right. those, those types days. of things and there's always um when speaking of addiction there's always a um professionally speaking a mental health diagnosis are typically associated with addiction because that's 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 just the manifestation of the trauma right. that they've endured. But you can have uh, or be in experiencing trauma um, or PTSD and not have a substance abuse diagnosis. Absolutely. Right. And so that's, I was just making that distinction mm-hmm. that I do not have that, not for the purpose of othering people with substance abuse issues. No. Because again, I feel like every single person that's made it I'm cheering for you. Because Absolutely. I have a loved one. That In any it. area of recovery, it's just right. make sure we, as we move forward, we uh, properly inform people. That's right. Yeah. Right. You know, so, and it bring, and I'm bringing that up because again, and when, particularly in Georgia, when we talk about recovery, mm-hmm. it's always framed under substance abuse and we don't really talk, discuss, or even give any right. real credence to what recovery from trauma looks like. And right. a lot of that had to do with um, a, just accepting um, the things who I became okay. as a result of that trauma. You know, I think a lot of it was not liking who I was. Mm. Um, you know, imagine having to develop survival, real survival skills, um, you know, at six. You know, it, it makes you a more advanced thinker. A lot of times kids mm-hmm. like that will probably get billed as grown and, you know, bad fast. mouth and fast and mm-hmm. trouble, that kind of thing. Um you know, so it, there's so much in mm-hmm. that. Um, so to talk about uh, some of the things that I did um, for uh, healing and recovery, um, one of them was by one of the things I did was getting a, a life coach. Okay. Um, I've had a therapist, you mm-hmm. know, like I said, at the church. Um, but having a life coach, this type of work was... She, uh, Adria Kitchens, she is a um, certified feminine power life coach, and it's transformational in that it challenges your core belief systems about life um, and, and about yourself. Um, and so when you begin to challenge that core belief system, mm-hmm. that's where you have the opportunity to go back in and reparent yourself. Um, that's what I did. I, so it's a lot of internal work. I had okay. to go back and reparent and be the parent that I needed for that inner child. You okay. know? So the connection is, is that people always say, okay, that's childhood trauma, let it go. But really in reality, you know, lots of times we say that we see these adults acting like children. It's because we have this wounded inner child component that we don't acknowledge. And it doesn't go away. No. Right? It, it stunts your development. It, stu- it steers yeah. pretty much everything you do. It doesn't really go away. No. That inner child is really the evil Kermit sitting on your shoulder <laughs> telling you, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it, And so part of growth and development is going back and healing that inner child. And that creates a better sense of self-love, a better relationship with yourself. Um, the practices that I've engaged in uh, to do that is meditation. I can't begin mm-hmm. to tell you. Um, I don't meditate with guided meditation because the talking irritates me. Right, right. I, I use the binaural beats, the sound, just because I already have racing thoughts. Right. Again, why do I have racing thoughts? Well, you know, think about it. From the time I'm six years old, I'm strategizing ways to avoid getting physically harmed. 
you know, or sexually harmed. You've been stressed. I've been stressed and, and, and strategizing yeah. all of that time. So, of course, you know, that, so in my mind now, it, it's just the way my mind works. Right. But I, I learned that I can bring that into, you know, calm it down with meditation. You know, I burn sage. I have some right here, some lavender um, sage. Um, and this is cedar sage I have, not white mm -hmm. sage um, for all the activists out there. And um, another thing I do is use crystals because I, I believe, mm -hmm. you know, well, A, stones itself, I believe in having a grounding. You talked to earlier right. about dissociation. Right. When I'm feeling like I'm not connected to myself, I have this stone right here. I know everybody can't see it, but um, Takesha can. And um, these, it's a grounding. You know, right. You hold it and it helps me stay present. That's what crystals do. And then there's different types of crystals that carry different types of energy. And should anybody choose, so, yeah. you know. So it sounds you like you found ways to, and it's, it's an, it is a form of therapy that we use. It is. And it's, it's incorporated um, often with meditation, but it's, it's called mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So what it's, it sounds like you've learned how to do um, is be where your feet are yes. to be able to center yourself Yes. And focus on where you are in that moment and enjoying that moment mm -hmm. and what and enjoying that moment. And and what's beautiful about it is through that practice, you have the ability from within to get there. Yes. Because that's not where you start, but it's where you end up, right. which is enjoying in that moment. But that's through, you said, meditation. Um, you know, meditation, mm -hmm. particularly with binaural beats, with the sounds. Okay. There's different waves, lengths of, of sound that can affect different areas of right. your brain. Right. Um, so that I find to be very relaxing, um, burning the sage. And again, um, I, I mean, I do engage in prayer, but I mm -hmm. find myself being more intentional. Okay. Um, so again, that's it's like what you said, being mindful, mm -hmm. right? Because when I set my intentions, for what I want, because I'm now connected to that part of myself, mm -hmm. then I'm able to bring past, bring to pass what I'm looking for. Right. So whether it's like in my business, in the podcast, I set the intention to grow and to, you know, mm -hmm. improve the image by X, Y, Z. And so I line myself up to do those things mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm being intentional about how I spend my time. Absolutely. About how the, I make decisions mm -hmm. about... You know, so I find that is also um, very helpful right. towards my recovery because now I'm doing what makes me happy. Right. I'm doing and That's I'm gaining success mm -hmm. in that area. Um, again, partially just talking about the message and spreading the word because, again, it's just about people understanding how many people that have this experience or that connected with it that are willing to share. That's what CPSs do. do. That's part okay. of what peers do is share those experiences and say, this is what it's like. And that's my hope for people to understand what it's like so that a people that are living with this can see themselves in it and so choose to get help. Um, it may not be, you know, uh, professional help. Uh, right. You know, it right. may not be clinician. Cause right. Some people just, you know, have concerns about that. Right. But and justifiable yeah. concerns. So I do yeah. want to give people permission to heal mm -hmm. wherever you find it. And healing, you know, as long as you are healing, and that may not be with the clinician, that may not be with a pastor or a reverend or a first lady, but find somewhere, somehow, some space to heal. Yes. Yes. 
and usually for I think for a lot of people it's in the form of expression it is in the form of and that's the other reason why I created the official DMV podcast community okay uh, for creators and entrepreneurs because that's the place you know I realize that I'm healing I realize that I have certain senses of sensibilities integrity in interacting with people is important to me mm-hmm. so that's why I want to build you know I don't want a community where everybody's just like oh it's all about me I can do what I want to do right yeah that, that that's not helpful because you're not thinking about other people, the experience that you create for people around you. Um, so I, that's where I have a podcast community, officialdfd.com. Um, I invite you all to come check it out again. You know, please just come and check it out. Cause again, it's a place where we're all connecting, bonding, growing right. um, for this whole purpose. And I think there's a whole lot of powerful things that can come out of a bunch of creative people uh, that are entrepreneur minded coming, coming together in one place. And in saying that, I want to wrap up. Um, and before I wrap up, or as I wrap up, I want to encourage people to begin their journey of healing um, and the way, a, a particular way that you can begin that journey in healing is to simply start with forgiving. Forgiving yourself, forgiving anyone who's caused you pain or harm. Um, forgiving is not forgetting, but it allows you the power to heal your body, mind, and spirit. And it opens up a pathway to a new place of peace. Peace. Yes. Okay. Yes. So. And before before we go, I just would like to uh, let everybody know. Um, uh, so my book is out. Yes. I'm releasing my book, um, Mind Funk Times Twenty One, in honor of Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And this is pretty much um, bits and pieces of my story of recovery, understanding. It starts out with it's in sections. The trials of becoming. You know, there should be a manual for this stuff, uh, you know, and it kind of goes into my experience with, you know, being a rebel. Um, so there's poetry mm-hmm. and then all the way, it takes you all the way to my progression of healing and understanding ending with the queen. So um, I'm hoping that you all check it out. You can purchase that book at www.healswithherpen.com. Um, once again, that's healswithherpen.com. And also I'm in a poetic anthology. It's a book. Mm. of 20 of Atlanta's hottest lady poets um, nice talking about all kinds of issues relating to uh, womanhood black womanhood power all of that is beautiful and heals with her pen is h e a l s s yes heals okay. with an s heals with her pen okay dot com um, books are, are available um today so please check me out thank you everyone thank you Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, take this information back. Um, remember, this is we're closing out Sexual Assault Awareness Month. I uh, want you all to know to pay attention, look around. Um, you know, there's ways to oh, speak, that's do right. something, if you see protect, something, say something. Yes. Yeah. And and if you are a person who's living with uh, sexual trauma in your life or any kind of trauma, just know that you're not alone. So on that note, be intentional with your plans and manifest your best. See you next week. Sean. Thank you for listening to the show. We hope you found the information to be very helpful to you. If you are in fact living with domestic or sexual assault violence in any form, I encourage you to reach out to Rain at rain.org. There you can find a live chat with someone or you can call the number 1-800-656-HOPE. That is 1-800-656-4673.
Whatever you do, I encourage you to get help today, and I want you to know that you are not alone.